everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of the Maven's Havens podcast brought to you by Vibal Energy Tea. Good vibes and balance all uh, with all in delicious tea with three grams of sugar and plenty of caffeine to keep you going. Today I am joined by Marcus Smith over at Axon Collective. Marcus, thank you so much for joining me today. Real pleasure to have you. Glad to be here. It's uh, always fun to be on that side of the mic. Yeah, that's right, because you also you are also a podcaster as well, right? That's correct. Uh, we have the Founders Forge podcast. Cool, awesome. Um, yeah, no, it's uh, actually no. Maybe one day my uh, my own entrepreneurial ambitions will take off, and then I'll have uh, the pleasure, as you put it, of being on the other side of the mic. But for today, love to get to know more about you and what you're working on. Um, so uh, you know, maybe let's just take it right from the top. Um, your Axon Collective. I know a little bit about it. You guys are kind of in like the agile development space, but a lot of people may not know what that is and um, probably don't know what specifically your company's value add is um, in that space. So why don't you, uh, you know, tell me more about what it is you're doing? Yeah. So my company's Axon Collective started it a couple years ago, but really got into it more recently. And we basically do what I call fractional technical experts for uh, startups mid-stage, what I call post-traction or usually post-seed round. And we basically bring in specialists that service specific things to help startups get from kind of an initial product to a more scalable long-term uh, technology that they can you know, continue to grow with. Okay, cool. All right. So you're really helping, you're specifically working a lot with like early stage companies that are, um, uh, as you put it, kind of an initial product going to the next step, like really, um, uh, you know, diving into their addressable market. Um, mm -hmm. And you use the term fractional specialists. Like I've heard, I had, I met someone who, uh, you know, worked, um, had a company doing like fractional executives, which is like part-time CFOs and stuff for younger companies that don't, aren't ready for a full-time. Is that kind of the idea here? It's like, I need a few hours a week kind of specialists to help build out a product. Yeah. So basically in technology, there are a bunch of really small special niches that, as a growing company, you need to address whether that's cloud engineering, data analytics, CEO or um, CTOs, like those all kind of fit into that. You don't necessarily need someone to be full time uh, at that stage of your business, but you do need that expertise to be able to get to the next point. And so for us, fractional technical experts just encompasses all of those technologists that would solve very specific problems for a startup. And the idea is kind of like a general contractor for building a house. You don't, as the homeowner, go and hire a person to build your do your foundation and then do your roofing and all that. You go to a general contractor and then sign one piece of paper and the general contractor knows, has a great network of these experts that come in and service that specific project. That's That's basically what we do. Okay, gotcha. All right, cool. So um, I guess, how did you come by this idea, like kind of see this um, need for this particular value add, um, you know, with, with startups, with the market you're addressing? Yeah, so I guess <laughs> it 
was a combination of us just wanting to service startups in general and solve innovation problems and a realization we had that the needs of entrepreneurs go beyond just having a generalist who can do something, who can do it all, right? There is a point at which they need specialists. And really, you know, we want to move beyond just technology and software and hardware stuff, but also into, you know, marketing experts and, you know, because there are niches inside of marketing, et cetera. And so it started with a, let's go build cool stuff together. And then we said, let's go build cool stuff for other people because that makes a business. And then we said, well, people need more than just us. They need a bunch of experts. So let's build out what I call a, a curated collaborative marketplace for these types of experts who fill those roles that entrepreneurs need to fill. I see. So is your background, it's in um, like software development, um, software engineering? Yeah, I, I'm a software engineer by trade. I went to school for it and then got into the defense industry as a software engineer and then moved from that into the startup space. I guess I'm um, curious to uh, probe a little bit deeper that transition you mentioned there going from uh, you know defense, the traditional career path to the um, entrepreneur path, so to speak, maybe to oversimplify a bit. I guess um, uh, two things. Well, really, you know, I, where did you really, um, you know, find this passion, right, for entrepreneurship and decide that was the way you wanted to go, as well as, um, and you touched on this a bit earlier, but really decide, like, kind of this specifically was um, the value add, like, was there, I don't know, a light bulb in the head moment, or, because um, you had said before, right, I want to, um, we wanted to help startups, I guess, kind of where did that um, uh, kind of come from? Yeah, so I've been entrepreneurial since I can remember, I was selling pistachios in you know the music room in elementary school type of thing, and I've also been innovative. You know, had all these engineering ideas that I had as a, as a little little kid, and so that thread has always been there. But the irony is, the business that we do now, though I didn't go into starting this business with these guys um, that are my co-founders specifically thinking back to this initial idea I had a long time ago, basically harkens back to something I've, I've been thinking about since I was probably 10, 12, something like that, where basically it was a, there was a, there was a business idea that I had and I said, there's no way I could do this by myself. I would need to get other people to come in and solve this with me. How do I create a place for people to do that effectively? And you know, fractional technical experts, you know, paid uh, is one way, but it also kind of goes into the dynamic equity space, which is a totally different thing, but plays into kind of the things that we talk about for Axon Collective long term. That's a really interesting story. Um, so you had ideas that, you, you know, ventures you wanted to start realized where uh, the value you needed and then kind of pivoted towards um, providing that value as the entrepreneurial venture you eventually wanted to um, go into. Well, and, and realistically, like, I wasn't thinking about what we're doing right now when, you know, I had that, you know, dream back when I was a kid, but I can see the threads of that passion that have stayed along the way. And even what we're doing now 
is an odd modification of kind of our initial plans for what what it would look like to do this type of collaborative approach to building building startups and businesses. Sure. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, as I've discovered with a lot of people I've spoken to, the journey takes many twists and turns. It's, you know, it never what you're building never really quite really quite looks like what you originally envisioned. Exactly. So it's interesting because um, this came from, you know, a place of considering challenges and um, how to solve them for not just yourself, but for others. But now that you this is kind of the path you've embarked on, um, of course, it's going to come with its own set of challenges. So I'd like to hear from you. Uh, what are some of the biggest challenges you've encountered, um, you know, with Axon Collective and what have you done to kind of to overcome them? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. I think from the beginning you're always playing to your strengths and that's something that can only get you so far so some of those challenges like you know we're, we're working through right now but at the beginning the key piece was taking a idea of how to solve problems and finding basically finding the people who needed it right uh and that's i think Maybe, you know, and, and if you know the lean methodology, they'd say you're going about it the wrong way to some degree, you know, don't, don't come to a problem with the solution, or I, I guess don't come with the solution and try to find a problem, but, you know, find a problem and, and bring a solution. But, you know, ultimately, I think the reality is we saw that there was, where, there was a problem in this space and ultimately some of the systemic issues of entrepreneurial innovation, I think, go back to some of these, you know, issues of not using good fractional experts. And so the the question then was, who needs it, right? And so I think one of the challenges that we overcame was narrowing down kind of who our target market is. And it, our dream and our passion is to be able to take any early stage startup and, you know, bring in the experts and really be able to take something and, and go with it. But the reality is, as far as a economically viable business, you have to work, you know, farther up the food chain and work with those companies that are post-traction that have some cash on hand and can really afford the types of experts that would be solving the problems, right? And so that took us some time to figure out. Right now, we're at this place that we're trying to solve the basically talent side of things, right? You know, as, as you're solving problems for people and more people come to have you solve those problems, you need to bring on more experts and whatnot. And with talent, there's the vetting process, there's, you know, finding the right pipelines, there's making sure there's alignment in, in purpose and vision. And those are things that we're going through right now. And hopefully, you know, we've got some individuals that we're thinking about helping us that again, are actually kind of those consultant type fractional experts in the talent acquisition space. And hopefully that is the solution and kind of validates our approach to, uh, to the way startups work and, and the value of fractional experts. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Sounds like it's um, like, uh, it was true what I was saying. There's definitely, um, you know, a whole new set of challenges um, 
that come with, uh, you know, the path you've embarked on. Um, you know, one thing you talked, you touched on that I kind of want to drill into a little more, um, you know, you mentioned narrowing down that target market, right? There's the guys you really feel like you're a fit for or really want to help. But, you know, the fact that they have kind of a dearth of resources versus the established companies that, you know, like, you, you know, you're not as passionate um, to help with. But when you narrow down that target market, I guess, um, and really kind of found your sweet spot, I'm kind of curious how you then began penetrating that market, found your first customers, if you will. Yeah. So I think still a lot of what we do right now and what you'll see a lot in the services, professional services, market, consulting, whatever you want to call it, which, you know, that's why right now we don't really look like a traditional startup. There are certain things that we kind of want to go down the path of that land more that direction. But for anyone in this kind of professional services space, a lot of, especially your initial value is found in your networks, in referrals and people saying, oh, I know about you, you solve this problem. Oh, I know this person, here's um, someone who, who could benefit from your work. So that's basically been the majority of, of our business to date is been through those, really it's, it's networking and uh, building connections and trust. So I'd say that's kind of the way that we've solved it. We haven't really done any types of hard, heavy marketing pushes or anything like that, that, you know, is really beneficial. And, and the hard part is, I think a lot of founders uh, are going to, you know, say like, oh man, networking, <laughs> that's, you know, that's not super helpful, you know, and, and it's super time consuming. But the reality is, even some of the networking that I did, you know, year, two years ago, turn around business for me today. And so that the hard part about that is you just kind of have to cast your net wide and always be looking to give something of benefit. And that's, you know, it's hard because you're like, I'm giving away so much, where do I end up getting from it? But uh, the timeline on that turnaround is, you know, six months, a year, depending. Sometimes you'll have someone who you connect with and they're like, I know someone who needs your solution now, but um, realistically it takes time. And so the nice part about that though, and, and kind of the narrowing of our target market is when I connect with those individuals that I'm networking with, being able to give a, a smaller segment of people that would benefit allows them to have a tighter look, uh, you know, a closer eye on the individuals that might be really good for us to connect with. And then of course that turns better leads. And so, you know, recently we get a lead and it can turn into business pretty effectively. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, no, I think you touched on something really important there um, that I kind of want to point out. I mean, you said it, cast a wide net and always be looking to put value out there. Or maybe I'm paraphrasing a bit, but something to that effect. And then you met, you went on to say, um, you know, but then where does this kind of pay off for me? And I think uh, that that points out something really important is that you can't really always be thinking of it transactionally. Right. You do it just to forge the connections. And when, you know, the time is right, when you've you know forged a lot of connections, um, people that really have gotten value from you and feel um, a desire to reciprocate, they tend to come through for you. And then um, that can lead to further leads, referrals and a kind of multiplier effect that can grow into the, the business you need.
Yeah, and and one of the strategies that we're working on right now is kind of this approach. And I, I just like tweeted about it and, and said something about it the other day, which is a very strategic thing that we see nowadays that people are doing to get business is giving something of value to an individual who commands the attention of your potential customers and clients. And the funny thing is, so like that's your influencer marketing, that's channel partnerships, et cetera. And that's like an old school practice that, you know, has been around, but it, we went from that to these, you know, automated lead generations and pushing, you know, hardcore emails and stuff like that. And yet it comes back around to this concept of, of trust and influence and connection. And that's a, a strategy that, you know, we are trying to play along the markets where like there are specific individuals that hold the attention of these early stage, mid stage startups. And so if I can bring value to them, whether that's, you know, through our services specifically or more kind of indirectly through our expertise, then there's a point at which that can turn around more effectively. I don't have to go do as much looking for, you know, a hundred potential clients because I connect with this one individual who has access to those hundreds of potential clients. And then they're also putting their trust in us that uh, then transfers to those individuals that they have the attention of. Yeah, it's uh, to use a bit of a cliched metaphor, planting a lot of seeds, um, seeing what sprouts and then letting the growth kind of come organically. Yeah, and, and I've got this, well, a little bit, um, but honestly, not too much. Uh, I have this concept of kind of like old leverage, new leverage, where it used to be before, you know, we had big financial institutions, the leverage you had, uh, the amount of stuff that you could do outside of your personal strength and capability was your networks, the people that you were connected to, the people that could come in and help you, whether it's on the farm or, or you know, the blacksmith that owed you something, right? And that kind of disappeared when, it, when you could buy anything you wanted to, in a sense. But now when the supply out there is, is you know, way too complicated or, you know, hard to navigate, it comes back around to that concept of trust and um, IOUs, et cetera, et cetera. Indeed. I mean, business is ultimately kind of built on, um, you know, interpersonal relations and uh, mutual form of trust. I mean, there's an trust implicit in um, every, uh, you know, uh, every relationship, every dealing, no matter how transactional. So that's a good point um, you kind of bring up there. Um, I wanted to also uh, ask you about something else. You had mentioned, you know, getting talent acquisition so you can really kind of hone in on, um, you know, the process of finding the right talent. That's obviously very important in what you do. And it's a piece of the bigger puzzle of building culture, which we know is very important. It's something startups take very seriously. And I'd imagine it can present some unique challenges for you because you have so many of these um, specialist consultants that are um, interfacing, interacting with um, your clients, going to and from uh, different clients. I've worked for a consultancy that did like DevOps consulting. You know, there were guys bouncing back and forth through all these different clients. So naturally, um, 
it, it did present something of, um, you know, challenges when it came to team building and culture building. So I'm kind of curious uh, to know more about your thoughts on the culture you're trying to build and how you're going about doing that. Yeah. Um, so like, I guess from the beginning, we've kind of recognized that what we're trying to do is a little bit different than what's out there and, and the way that people transact uh, in business nowadays when it comes to culture and talent and people they interact with. And to some degree, one of the key pieces is when you don't, when you're working with subcontractors, partners, whatever you want to call them, they're not going to be working in quote your office, right? These, these are individuals all over that they demand, you know, they command their own business, they command their own space, and they just happen to work with you in a, in a setting. And so one of the things that we said from the beginning, you know, even before we solidified the direction that we were going and everything is we want to be remote first and we want to, you know, cut our teeth on this concept of working in a way that isn't glued together by conference rooms and by, you know, water coolers in these places. And that's hard. It presents a challenge, but I think if your mindset from the beginning is do things remotely, then you find ways to engage and to, to build culture around the different digital solutions that you have in front of you. You know, I'm glad that we've, and honestly, you couldn't do that type of remote thing decades ago because we didn't have tools, whether it's like Slack or, you know, we use Notion, which is a, a call, call it a knowledge repository tool, but it's much more than that. And that is part of like, how do we hone in our operations? How do we build common places for people to interact with the way that we do stuff? We're pretty you know, strong about our principles, which uh, I don't know if you know Ray Dalio's books, princi book principles, but it's the concept of having really a priority stack and, and a reason behind why you do things the way you do. And so we set out and you know, wrote, wrote down our principles. And that's something that as we interact with people, we're very straightforward about, like, this is why we do the things the way that we do. And for the most part, I think they're things that a rational human being can agree to. But then there are certain things that are a little bit more specific, like, you know, we're a strong believer in the reuse of something versus trying to build something new. And, and in technology, that's a, that's a huge piece. But, you know, then when I'm working with a client, that people have their own expectations of, oh, aren't, you know, are you using open source or is that going to be a concern for me? And the nice thing is culture is starting to trend towards really supporting the, the approaches that we believe in. But then, you know, same thing happens when you're, when you're talking to technologists. And so you have to be just straightforward about the way that you do things and understand that it's going to be slightly different than you know, bringing someone on and putting them underneath a senior uh, engineer or something like that and taking them out to lunch and all that type of stuff. It's a lot more of these Zoom calls or, you know, Google Meet or whatever. It's a lot more of those digital channel connections uh, than anything else. Yeah, for sure. You know, uh, you mentioned Ray Dalio. He keeps coming up when I speak to people. So I by now i gotta i gotta really start reading his stuff because um apparently i mean he's got a, a lot of great answers for um you know questions like these and how to build a business so i'm, I'm almost kind of embarrassed because i haven't i'm not as caught up to speed on like half of my interview subjects as i you know 
So yeah, I'll get around to that. But I did hear something, uh, you know, it, that I, what I took away from what you just told me is um, a lot of what I've heard uh, people talk about. A, it sounds like you're kind of getting at um, first principles thinking. Like there's the irreducible reason why you do what you do, why, um, you know, your value add exists and, uh, you know, just beliefs that, uh, you know, can't really be unwound any further. And from there, um, you kind of build uh, this culture, this company, um, and, uh, your, and your reason for being out of that. And then you have to stay strong in your convictions and thus, and the culture kind of coalesces around all that. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's harder than you think it would be, but easier than maybe your concern would be as long as you're, you know, as long as you stick to it. And ultimately, the hard part is every individual that joins your team that you interact with brings some of their own cultures and presuppositions and whatnot to the table. And you don't want to squash that out of them. You want to find the alignment, right? And, and so that'll continue at, with every individual that we partner with and that we interact with and that we bring on as talent or whatever. Uh, is going to be another one of those, how do we align ourselves versus how do I turn you into my robot or something like that? And align yourself and then, um, you know, let the relationship and the business flourish from there. Um, yeah, that's that's definitely, um, you know, a sentiment I can get behind. Um, and one that I'm sure a lot of people can get behind, maybe not everybody, because there's still a little controversy raging about this, but you guys are thoroughly staked out your position in the remote uh, side of the whole remote office or hybrid debate, um, which is great. Um, you know, I mean, I, I, I mean, we all know things are going more remote than they were to what extent still remains to be seen. But um, I, I'm, I'm touching on that as it kind of segues neatly into what I wanted to ask you about next. So You've been, uh, you've been working with this for a little bit of time now, but you mentioned at the beginning, you really kind of started ramping up your involvement in Axon um, lately. Uh, and of course the, uh, you know, per, the, the lo I'm losing the word right now, but the prevailing, let's say news story the past year or more is of course the global pandemic. So um, considering your business has a lot of um, specialists, you know, interacting with clients um, and uh, the upheaval, um, you know, uh, for more than just the location of everybody because of the pandemic going on. I'm kind of, I'll cut right to the chase instead of rambling forever and just ask how has COVID really impacted your business and the growth of Axon? Honestly, because we have had this remote first mentality from the beginning. It's one of those things where to some degree is nice because people started getting on board with the way that we do things. And um, it, it made it easier because there wasn't these expectations of, oh, I have to do an in-person meeting and oh, you know, the networks I work within are, you know, stuck to my physical location. The irony is we moved to a physical new location right before the pandemic, uh, per, you know, personally, me and uh, my wife. And so I had to navigate a whole new ecosystem totally virtually and it worked out really well. And, you know, I've built business off of that and uh, made a lot of really good connections through that. But it's one of those things that if 
I had tried to navigate that same ecosystem in a physical only world, it would have taken me so much more time and gas and effort <laughs> to, uh, to be able to make it to the, uh, to make those connections. Um, maybe they'd be stronger, who knows, but uh, that's kind of one of those hindsight things. Ultimately, I think just looking at spending and innovation and, and whatnot, the pandemic brought in kind of a, a freeze on a lot of the way people were doing things. There was a lot of networking happening, but a lot less acting happening. So that was, you know, a bummer and a pain. Uh, we still had some work through that time, but I can start looking back to the connections and the networking and stuff that was able to be done because people were locked inside and people were more engaged digitally to opportunities that are, are coming through now. So you, you can never sit, you can never do the, what would it have been game? But I look at it and I say, we were able to turn something good out of it, uh, regardless of, you know, it being a terrible situation and knowing that a lot of other people have struggled a lot more because of, because their business is more tied, you know, physically or something along those lines. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you guys were kind of, and you specifically um, were kind of tailor-made for this new kind of landscape. I mean, it was um, something you were already adapting yourself to before the pandemic even struck. So it didn't throw as much of a wild curveball at you as it did to a lot of other people. Exactly. People would ask me, how, you know, how, how's it going for you transitioning into this new normal? I'm like, this has been normal for me for the last two years. Like, this is nothing new. And I'm, I'm glad that's the case. My wife also, you know, is a remote, kind of a remote first individual. So we've done the work from home thing uh, even before the pandemic. But then I know other people who they've got a one bedroom apartment and they both have to work from home. And it's really hard to make that happen when you have, you know, such a limited space and don't have the tools to do that at home. So definitely blessed with, you know, the setup we have, but it, it was definitely fun to be able to just be like, yeah, no, this is normal. Um, glad, glad y'all are catching up now. That could be like a side gig you do or something like that. Teaching people how to um, navigate the whole work from home situation, um, you know, not get get on top of each other and want to kill each other um, as familiarity breeds too much contempt. Maybe I'll make another podcast. It's <laughs> a great idea. Um, I want to, you know, kind of switch tacks here for a bit. Um, uh, learn more about you kind of personally rather than just outside of the business. Um, I, I always ask, uh, you know, Entrepreneurship is a very difficult path to take, but um, in my experience, entrepreneurs do it because they have to and they get tremendous satisfaction out of doing it, wouldn't have it any other way. I guess what I'm curious about is, you know, what do you enjoy most about being an entrepreneur? It's a really good question. I think I look at my passions in life and I'd say there are really kind of two big ones for me. One is efficiency and innovation that makes, you know, the world and, you know, people more efficient. And to some degree that plays into my second thing, which is empowering people to do what they love. You know, theoretically, if the world was as, as efficient as possible, then people would have more time to do what they love. But the other thing is, you know, to me, entrepreneurship is ideally someone taking what they love and turning it into a business. Now, not everyone does that, but, so for me, like entrepreneurship 
has been, you know, the end game my whole life because it's my, it's the most efficient way for me to be able to solve problems and help other people do the thing that they love most. And it also allows me to do what I love most. So, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, not to get, not to be like sappy or sentimental, but essentially to leave your impact on the world, a positive one, um, you know, in some way, small or large, uh, you know, to know you've made someone's life at least a little easier or better, it sounds like. And that's a recurring theme I hear among people, entrepreneurs I speak to. Well, and it's, it's being able to take that action of your own accord versus hoping that you're working for someone or get into a company where you can get to the point that you're leading a company in the direction you want to. The, the direct path to impact is a lot shorter for entrepreneurs than any other way to, to try and do impact through business. You can obviously do impact through other things, through you know, donating your time or your money or whatever else. But if you're trying to do it through business, which I think is you know one of the best ways to do it, most efficient ways to do it, then quickest way is entrepreneurship. Yeah, it's very empowering. Um, you know, when you have that uh, uh, when you have that passion, that desire to make an impact, um, entrepreneurship does certainly um, provide a very um, potent channel. For doing so, um, which is part of the reason I'm so fascinated in you know doing this podcast. So um, awesome, yeah. That's 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 a great way of looking at it. Um, so I'm so curious to know, uh, you know, work-life balance, if such a thing can be said to exist, is a challenge for a lot of entrepreneurs. I mean, it's a challenge for a lot of people in general, but especially for entrepreneurs. So I'm kind of wondering, um, you know, how do you achieve, uh, if not work-life balance, some semblance thereof? Yeah, uh, I've heard some people say, you know, work-life balance, what is that? I'm an entrepreneur. Or, you know, my work is my life, so that's pretty balanced, don't you think? But uh, I don't necessarily ascribe to that. I definitely think there is something to be said for trying to find where the time you spend on your venture stops and the other things you do in life, you know, starts. And I got to a point where I got pretty burnt out at the end of 2020. I'm sure because of more than just the time I was spending on business. But ultimately, I had to step back and reassess what I was putting my energy into, why I was putting my energy into it, and what was most important, you know, and put, you know, create that priority stack in my life. And that was really helpful. Ultimately, I think as an entrepreneur, I don't do normal work hours, and my brain never stops really thinking about what I do. And so you have to be intentional about taking breaks. And, and that's something that I've been you know, religious about as you were uh, for a long time is trying to have those reoccurring breaks where I'm intentional about stepping away. Otherwise, as any entrepreneur, workaholic, whatever you want to say, you know, does, they can drive themselves into the ground if they don't create those boundaries and those limitations. So work-life balance is 100% intentional. I think it's very doable even though I know a lot of uh, the traditional entrepreneurial uh, kind of methodology doesn't necessarily say that. 
And ultimately, I think it's more sustainable and a, a better approach, a more efficient approach, because just like, you know, if you're driving or something like that, and, you know, you're speeding up and slowing down and speeding up and slowing down, if you're consistent, you're able to, to you know, theoretically get there faster and, and more efficiently, um, depending on the engine. I think humans are the same way. And, and so if you can be consistent and have a, a constant pace versus go, 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 crash, go, 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 crash. I think it's a, a more long-term sustainable and uh, uh, efficient way to go about things. Yeah, don't uh, fly by the seat of your pants. Instead, be very intentional about having that work life. I've definitely um, heard from other entrepreneurs, like you really gotta force yourself, You know, compartmentalize your life a bit. Like this is my time away, I'm unplugged. You know, um, I'm not doing, that right now and the fact is if you set up your business well enough other than the very rare um you know completely unforeseen uh you know lightning strike disaster there should be no reason you can't step away from a little while and expect to come back with everything intact right um yeah. so that's definitely definitely an important um an important important point you've kind of reiterated there so i appreciate that um i just really have one more question for you marcus um the same thing i ask pretty much at the end of all of these what words of advice do you have for fellow entrepreneurs either those already on their journey or aspiring to be so i think there's you know dozens of different things i could say work-life balance is one but something i've been thinking about a lot recently and talking to a lot of entrepreneurs about is being in control of your schedule and your life versus letting your clients and customers and opportunities control you. And that doesn't mean that you're giving up those things necessarily. It's just the way that you approach it. I think the service-oriented mindset is something that we've, you know, really pushed like, oh, you've got to just, you know, customers always write that type of stuff. And, and I don't necessarily ascribe to that. I believe in providing guides. So if I was going to give someone a suggestion who's an entrepreneur, it's, you know, create structures that direct the activity of whoever else would be dictating your life. So I, I love Calendly because it allows me to, when I have calls instead of a, hey, can you make this time? Sure. I say, here's my calendar that catches 90% of you know the individuals that would want to connect with me you know pairs down when i'm making you know calls and meetings and stuff like that to the time that i think is reasonable and then i can catch the last 10 percent and still kind of control when that happens and not feel completely overwhelmed yeah that makes uh, that makes a of sense i mean basically unless you make that effort to keep control of your life your time your energy external forces will control it for you. So it's um, part of a concerted and ongoing effort to, um, as you put it, build the structures to um, maintain that control, feel things pulling you this way and that no matter what. So um, definitely yep. very sound advice. Marcus, thank you so much for your time today. It was a real pleasure speaking to you and getting to know more about Axon Collective. I'm really excited to see everything you guys do and all of the success you achieve. Thanks. I'm glad I was able to come on and hopefully have something of value that uh, others can get out of this. Absolutely. Without a doubt. All right. Till next time, then. Take care.
Podcast Highlights Marcus Journey from Software Engineer to Co-Founder 1.22 How Axon Collective Provides Value Through Fractional Technical Experts and Marcus Background in Entrepreneurship 12.27 How Axon Found Its Target Market and Got Its First Customers 19.55 How Axon Is Sourcing Talent and Their Philosophy on Building a Business Culture 26.48 How COVID Has Impacted Axon's Growth 31.00 What Marcus enjoys most about being an entrepreneur. 33.55 How Marcus achieves work-slash-life balance. 37.12 Marcus words of advice for fellow entrepreneurs.